Thank you very much, Lynette. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. I think I can see you through all the, all the rain. Uh, so glad for you to be here. Uh, if you're a guest here with us, if you're tuning in, uh, maybe for the first time, welcome here. Uh, we are on our, our roof. It's the last Sunday, hopefully. Uh, tomorrow we have a new stage being built, which will bring us down a little bit, but make things a little bit uh, safer, a little easier access, hopefully even more protection from the rain. Uh, today, uh, as hopefully you heard last week, we are in uh, the book of, of Luke again, Luke chapter 11. And we're going to be there again today. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 36. So I'd invite you to turn there. If you have the lyrics page open, you should be able to f swipe up and see the, the next uh, scripture that we're going to go through. Um, I want to pray for us when we begin. It's always good for us to have the Word of God in front of us and then be in prayer that God would speak to us. So let's begin that way, and then we'll get into our text. Uh, Lord God, thank you for... For this opportunity, in spite of the rain, in spite of the, the difficulty of this uh, experience, Lord, the great thing about it is that we can gather, we can hear from you through your word, and uh, Lord, we know that you are with us. Uh, Lord, you promised to be with us. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, for each one, each one here, each one gathered online, uh, Lord, that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, that your words would cut through the, the noise that's going on in our head and our heart. Uh, Lord, that we would actually respond uh, by the power of your Spirit. And so I pray you'd, you'd help me, use me, please, Lord, in spite of my own sin, in spite of my own failings, Lord, to be of help to your church. And uh, we pray, Lord Jesus, that through this we would draw nearer to you, and Lord, that we would respond in greater and greater faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I, I want to begin this morning uh, just by noting something about uh, Jesus and how he interacts with the people that come to, come to hear him. Uh, if you look through the gospel, there's always groups of people, crowds of people that come to hear him. And the thing about Jesus is that whenever he's speaking to someone, whether it's a, a crowd of people or just one person, he always says the thing that is most helpful for that person. Most helpful. And by most helpful, I mean uh, spiritually helpful. I mean eternally helpful. Uh, Jesus is always motivated by a genuine love for the people in front of him. So what this means is that there's a lot of times when he speaks words that are very difficult, like hard words to, to the people in front of him, because he knows that at that moment they need a hard word to confront them with something, to, to wake them up to something. And that's what we have in our text today. Our text begins with a very sharp word from Jesus to the people that are, that are standing, that are gathered in front of him. And uh, so we're going to work our way through the text and we're going to look at this hard word and then uh, unpack it. And Jesus is going to explain why he's speaking so, so harshly in a sense. So I'm going to begin just with the first part of, uh, of verse 29. It begins this way. When the crowds were increasing, he, that is Jesus, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. So I'm going to stop there. Uh, th that's a pretty hard word. An evil generation. He called basically everyone who came to, to gather with him. You're evil. And notice when he did it. The beginning part of the uh, text said, as the crowd, when the crowd was increasing. Uh, that's typical of Jesus also. A lot of times he'll go into a region fairly unknown and he'll do miracles, he'll teach, he'll get more and more popular. Before long, there's hundreds and thousands of people that are gathering around him. And it's at that moment that um, you would think, I mean, if, if he was a public figure today, that would be the moment where you'd really fan the flames of your popularity. If you think about any politician today, 
Uh, anything they say is designed to appeal to the hearer. Uh, any political speech usually is run through political strategists, even focus groups, because they want to make absolutely sure that what's being said is well received by the people who are hearing. Uh, because they, they really want for the crowd to grow. They want for, um, for approval ratings to increase. Uh, for politicians in particular, they know there's always an election around the corner, so they're always looking to capitalize on uh, someone's interest. If you're interested a little bit, they want you to be interested a lot. But notice that's not uh, a goal that Jesus seems to have. I mean, for Jesus, uh, he, his goal is to help people, and so he says something that, I mean, is, is sure to offend. I mean, telling everyone that they're evil, uh, we didn't hear that in the throne speech, I think, last week, right? From the provincial government, there's nothing like that in there, because that's not something people like to hear. In fact, the people who are sitting there, are standing there, probably they were turning to each other and saying, did I hear that? Did I hear that right? And we walked three hours to, to hear this new rabbi. Did he just call us evil? Why, why did he do that? Well, Jesus goes on to explain. I mean, he does, he's not just looking to provoke. He really wants to, to instruct and to teach. And so really for the, the, the rest of our passage, he goes on to explain why he's calling this generation an evil generation. And it really comes down to two things. Two things. And here's the first one. He basically says that they had hard hearts. They had hard hearts, disbelieving, evil, hard hearts. They weren't responding to the, the word of God that he was speaking. And we see this uh, in the, the next verse. So I'm going to read the rest of verse 29 and then a little bit of verse, uh, in verse 30. It goes this way. This generation, he says, is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So um, when he says they're looking for a sign, what he means is that they are always looking for some evidence that God is at work. They're looking for uh, uh, supernatural evidence that, that, this is, that God is, is in this. Um, if you remember last week, Jesus did uh, a miracle. He healed a man, cast out a demon. But the response from the people was, uh, give us another sign. Give us another heavenly sign. They, they wanted more and more evidence that he was actually who he said he was, that he was actually from God. And Jesus' response now is, look, you're, you're not going to get any more signs. The only sign that you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. And if we're a little unclear as to what he means by that, like what's the connection between Jonah and Jesus, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Matthew is writing his version of this scene, uh, he gives some explanatory details. So Matthew says this, uh, this is Matthew 1240. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what Jesus is saying is, okay, you want a sign? There's going to be a sign. There's going to be the, the most amazing, fantastic sign of God's power and grace and love. Uh, I'm going to be buried in the ground for three days, and then I'm going to be resurrected, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, and then he came up out of the sea. I mean, th this is going to be the sign to end all signs. But see, he's saying that knowing their hearts. And what he knows about their hearts is that right now, in spite of all the miracles he's done, in spite of all the healing he's done, they have not responded in faith. They, they, have, they have not seemed to be that impressed by the signs that he has done. And he knows that even with his resurrection, there are going to be people who are unmoved by it. 
We're going to see it. He's going to appear to them later, he knows, and they're going to be not, not that excited, not that interested. Why? Because their hearts are hard to the things of God. In spite of miraculous, supernatural events that clearly display the power of God, there are those back then who, who don't believe, who are antagonistic, who are skeptical. We saw that, we saw that also last week. This is why he's calling them evil. Because they're staring into the face of the Messiah and, and their hearts are not, are not really open to what he has to say. They're not really interested in receiving Jesus as he is presenting himself. So because Jesus loves them, he's, he's, he's provoking them. He's shining a spotlight on this hardness, on this evilness. And he's going to do even more than that. He's going to tell them where it's leading. Because in these next few verses, uh, he points to the judgment that is coming. The judgment that is coming because of the hardness of their hearts. And he does it by uh, comparing them to two uh, groups of people from the past. One person in particular, then a group of people. So here's, uh, here's verse 31. Here's the first comparison that he says. He says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, uh, the queen of the south was a real person, uh, Queen Sheba. She ruled in southern Arabia in the time, obviously, of Solomon. Uh, if you know the story of Solomon, God said to Solomon, look, I'll, whatever you want, I will give you. And Solomon said, I would like wisdom, which uh, God was pleased with. And so he gave Solomon not just wisdom, but also wealth, also power. And so at that time, the king of Israel was just a magnificent kingdom. Everyone in the known world knew, had heard about the splendor of the kingdom of Israel. The, the queen of the south, Queen Sheba, she had heard of it, but she didn't want to just hear about it. She wanted to see it. And so what she did is she, uh, she got all her servants to pack up the camel train and they trekked weeks and weeks, maybe months to Israel. And when she got there, she, she was astounded. She was overwhelmed by just the, the beauty of the place, by how well it was run, and by the wisdom of Solomon uh, himself. And so um, here's what she said. Here's her response. Uh, notice what she says about Solomon, also about God. This is 2 Chronicles 2, verses 8 and 9. She said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever, he made you king over them that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king, she gave Solomon 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. So the point that Jesus is making is, look, Sheba, she, she went to great lengths at great cost to come and to witness the, the wonder of King Solomon and his kingdom. And when she was there, she praised the king, but she also praised God. But you, you people are standing right in front of the Messiah and there's no response in your heart. There's no softness of heart for you. I mean, it cost you nothing to be here. Maybe you walked a, an hour or two. That Queen of Sheba, she came from the ends of the earth and she responded to the Lord. What Jesus is saying to the people in front of him is, is look, God is, is so much more accessible. The wonders of God are so much more accessible, but your response is, is so hard. It's a hard word for them, but, but it's also, I think, a hard word for us. I mean, think, what do you think Queen Sheba would say about us? 
I mean, think of the revelation that we have, the the fullness of the revelation that we have. I mean, we we have we have the, the word of God in complete form, annotated with chapter numbers and verse numbers. We have commentaries on it. We we know the whole story. We know exactly what Jesus meant when he said he's gonna be buried in the earth and, and raised up again. We have eyewitness testimony. We have everything that, that we need, the, the full word of God, and yet I think if we're honest, we know that we do not respond with a real soft heart a lot of the time. I mean, honestly, how eager are we to hear from, from Jesus? Is, is that really, is that a desire of our heart? Like every morning when we get up, is it on our prayer list that we would just, that, that we would pray, Lord Jesus, help me to know you more. Help me to receive your word. Help me to live my life in light of what you are saying. Like, is, is there a real eagerness in us to receive and respond to with faith all that God has revealed to us? Because I think if we're honest, we know that, that that's not generally the case. That our hearts also tend to be hard to the things of God in spite of the fact that we have even more revealed to us. So the point that Jesus is making to these people here is that their hearts were much harder than they thought they were. And that's true of us as well. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he has another point of comparison. First, the queen of the south. Next, it's a group of people. It's, it's the men of Nineveh. So here's verse 32. He says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So it's the same idea that on the day of judgment, just like the queen of the south would in a sense rise up and say, look at their lack of faith, the same thing for the men of Nineveh. So what's the, what's the contrast between the men of Nineveh? Well, if you think about Jonah, he was sent to Nineveh to preach a, a warning message that the people of Nineveh would hopefully repent and be saved from God's judgment. If you remember, Jonah did not love this assignment. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't, his heart was not in it. In fact, that's why he was in the fish for a while. So when he did actually come to Nineveh to preach, it was a pretty weak message. If you look in the book of Jonah, he, he walks into the middle of the city and he doesn't even get up on top of anything or yell. He just kind of says, hey, uh, 40 days and the city is going to be overthrown if you don't repent. It's up to you. Is the sense you get. Like he's not really into it. And yet the response from Nineveh is overwhelmingly repented. I mean, the king hears about it. Everyone hears about it. They, they tear their clothes. They put on sackcloth and ashes. He says to everyone, we have to repent. Who knows? Maybe God will have mercy on us. And in fact, that's what happened. So what Jesus is saying is, look, the men of Nineveh, they had such a weak message, but they repented, like immediately, a strong response of repentance. But you guys, you guys are right in front of me. And I am not preaching a weak message. I'm coming with the power of God, with miracles. It's so clear that I've been sent from God. And yet your response is, is so very weak. He's saying because of the hardness of your heart, you are not responding to someone even greater than, than Jonah, even greater than the message of Jonah, even greater than, than Solomon. I'm here in the fullness of, of everything that you need to know the kingdom, and yet your response is so weak. It's anemic. It, it, it reveals a hardness of heart. That even though you think you may be, at the time, faithful Jews or interested in things of God, really, your, your response is showing that you are not at all. And again... 
I would say, what would the men of Nineveh have to say about us? I mean, isn't it, isn't it true that in spite of all the revelation from God's word, in, in spite of the fact that we know why Jesus went to the cross and that he rose again, that sin has been taken care of, that he aims to redeem us, in spite of all of that, aren't we reluctant a lot of the time to repent? In fact, a lot of the time, don't we just pretend that everything is fine? Even though we know there's areas of our lives that, that are not fine at all. Again, it's, it's a hardness of heart. It made, me, it made me think of something this week. Uh, one of my kids is, is doing science. I don't even know what it was for, but they were talking about crime scenes. Uh, you probably know this if you watched, I think, any CSI. Uh, they have a way that you can tell if there's blood, if there's been blood somewhere, even though you can't see any blood. You have to spray this stuff, luminol, you spray it on the surface, and then you put a UV light. And I, I don't know why, I, I read the lesson, but I can't remember why, but it, it glows. So even if you can't see like any residue of blood, uh, the, the light will shine on it, it'll glow, and you know oh, someone's been like murdered, something, something's gone on here. What I thought to myself is, I, wouldn't it be interesting if in our lives there was something you could spray on the different areas of our life and shine it just to reveal sin? especially the areas where we th we're, we're saying everything's fine and yet we would shine it and, and see how much of our life would glow with unconfessed sin. I think it'd be really revealing, be convicting for us. See, we have the clear message of the gospel with the clear message of forgiveness of God and yet so much of the time we are reluctant to confess, reluctant to repent. And what Jesus is saying is that the men of Nineveh, they got such a weak message, they repented right away. They were so broken. That should tell us something about our hearts. And so this beginning part is, is, is the problem. The problem is our hearts. Their hearts, our hearts. But it's not just our hearts. It's not just our deaf ears that we aren't hearing the word. There's another problem. So the second thing, the second thing about them is that they couldn't see clearly. They had hard hearts and they couldn't see clearly. And here Jesus kind of shifts his approach. Look at verse 33. He says this. He says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Now, the light here that he's talking about is, um, is a little different. There's some parts of the Bible he talks about the light as something that we have, we possess, and we need to shine it into the world. Uh, remember uh, in Matthew 5, he says, uh, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill, make sure your light shines before people. That, that's true. But in this case, the light that he's talking about is him. He is the light. He, he is the, the, the light that is shining the glory of God, the good news of God to all the people around him. And what he's saying is, look, he has not been put in a cellar. He's not been hidden under a basket. His ministry has been public. All of the things he's done, the miracles, the teachings, uh, the healings, it's all been on full display. The light of God has been shining forth very clearly, very brightly, but, but the people at the time, they haven't been receiving the light. There's a problem. There's a problem in terms of the reception of the light that is being shone. So, so what, was, what was the problem? Well, it was not an issue of the brightness of the light. Because sometimes that's the issue with lights. Uh, it, it's not bright enough. There's not enough lumens in, in the light. Uh, sometimes uh, when we can't see a light, it's because there's too much ambient light around it. Like if you try to show a movie too early in the day, you, you can't see it. The projector usually isn't bright enough uh, because of all the other 
light that's out there. So sometimes the issue is the brightness of the light, but with Jesus, that's not the issue. I mean, Jesus is like, in terms of spiritual light, he is so bright. He's like one of those, uh, have you seen those new digital billboards they have? Like the one down in Port Moody? That thing in the middle of the day, I mean, it's just gleaming bright. I don't know how powerful those LEDs are, but you can see everything on there, even when there's bright sunlight. That, that's kind of how Jesus is. He is absolutely bright. The problem isn't him. The problem is the people receiving the light. Their perception is, is obscured, is, is very, very dim. And uh, he makes this clear with the next couple of verses. So here's, here's how he extrapolates on this idea of light. Verse 34, he says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. So what he's saying here is that, like, your eyes gather light from outside. They let the light into the body, illuminate the body in a sense, just like a lamp in a room illuminates the room. Um, when there's healthy eyes, it means your body's full of light. Bad eyes mean that it's full of darkness. And he's saying that sin is kind of the same thing. So just like if, if your eyes have cataracts, they're all cloudy, they, they can't let in the light, the same is true of sin. You can't tell the difference between what is actually good and what is actually evil. That's why he says, be careful, lest the light in you actually be darkness. That's quite a striking statement if you think about it. To think that you wouldn't actually be able to tell the difference between light and darkness? I mean... Any one of us with eyes that work, we would say that's, that's pretty obvious. You just close your eyes, darkness, open your eyes, light. Like it's, it's not hard to tell the difference. But of course, that's because our eyes work well. If, if you had problems with your vision, if you had really severe cataracts, if you were blind, it would not be easy to tell the difference between light and dark. And the point Jesus is making is that when we have sin that persists in our life, it makes it very, very difficult to tell the difference between that which is good and that which is evil. That which is dark and that which is bright. I mean, if you think about the world, there are a lot of things in the world that people think are light, but actually they're darkness. There's, there's a lot of things that we give ourselves over to that we think are going to bring more and more light into our lives, more and more joy, more and more satisfaction, more and more goodness, but in fact... It, it leads us farther away from those things. And usually it's after a while that we realize that our, our lives are not filled with greater peace and joy. That there's greater hardship, great, a lack of peace. We're empty when we think we should be full. Came across, uh, I think, a good example of this uh, this week uh, in an, an interview that I read. It was an interview in GQ magazine. Uh, I'll tell you the, the title of the, of the article. The title was this, The Redemption of Justin Bieber. Now, I'm not a GQ subscriber, and I really was never a huge Justin Bieber fan. Uh, nothing like uh, Ben Gad. I mean, Ben Gad, he loves Bieber, but not, uh, that's just a, a joke. I don't know if he does. Um, but here, the thing I really like are stories of redemption, uh, even from a secular point of view. I'm fascinated by them. So I, I wanted to read the article. Uh, if you know Justin Bieber, you know that he's a, a pop star. He's been famous since he was very, very young, like since he was a child didn't have a stable home life, and so he really did kind of grow up in the spotlight, uh, grew up really being kind of handled by managers and agents all through his teen years. I think by this point, we know that 
that growing up that way is, is not good for anyone. So uh, Justin Bieber, by the time he was 23, he was beginning to realize that, you know, the, the life that he thought was, was full and wonderful was really not that way. And I want to read you a couple excerpts from the interview because it's, it's interesting what he says. So in 2017, that's when I think he was about this age, he was on a world tour that he ended up canceling. Uh, but here's what he said. He said, he started asking himself because he, he felt miserable. He said, I, I was positive I was miserable. So he said, am I ever going to be able to live a normal life? Am I going to be too self-centered and ego-driven that I just, you know, I, I make all this money and do all these things, but then I'm left at the end of my life all alone. Who wants to live that way? He says there was a time right near the end of that tour. Uh, he was in this castle in Ireland, this beautiful castle, and he said this, this old castle, just like the most beautiful estate with trim hedges, completely immaculate over this beautiful body of water. He said, I was there, I was alone, and I was just sad inside. He couldn't enjoy it. In fact, he couldn't feel anything at all. See, it, it strikes me that his life, his life seemed to be full of light. But in fact, he was realizing that it was, it was full of darkness. He thought he should be full. But he had to admit that he, he felt empty. All, all the things that people were telling him would make him content. All the things that for probably a number of years he thought would give him some measure of happiness. He was starting to realize that none of that was actually panning out. That he was feeling worse and worse and worse. I, I can't, and probably you can't, relate to Justin Bieber's life, but that blindness of thinking that certain things are going to bring me joy and then they don't, I, that, that's pretty familiar. I think that's something we all struggle with. Because all of us, all of us have areas of our lives where there's something that we thought was light. We thought it was good for us. In, in fact, there's a part of us that still does. There's still some sweetness to it when in fact it, it's poisoning us. I mean, there's so many lies that we believe, that we tell ourselves. Things that, things that other people tell us are going to be good for us. Things that the dark parts of our soul tell us are going to bring satisfaction. We, we say it to ourselves all the time, right? Just, what do we need on this day? We just need, we need a drink. We need another chunk of money, another, another win, another... A um, bit of success, another sexual experience, another, there's, there's all these things that each day we're just looking to, we think it's going to make us breathe easy and feel full, but in the end, it doesn't. And it's difficult for us to tell the difference. See, a lot of the time, our eyes are wide open, and yet we, we really can't see things clearly. We can't see ourselves clearly. We can't see our lives clearly. We, we can't see God clearly. Why? Because our hearts are hard. Because the eyes of our heart are, are cloudy with sin. What we really need, of course, is, is to have our eyes open to see the light of Christ. We need our ears open to hear the word of Christ. We need our hearts open to the spirit of Jesus that he might actually make us new, that he might remake us and, and open us up to all that God has for us. So how does that happen? How, that's really what Jesus wants for these people, I mean, they're, they're receiving just the beginning part of the revelation. We've got the whole gospel. How is it at this point, do we, if you're a person of God or someone interested in the things of God, how do we see things clearly? Three things, three ways that we do this. The first one, we need to seek the enlightenment of God. We need to seek the enlightenment of God. And for this, I want to read to you from Ephesians 
This is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus to a bunch of Christians. And listen to what he says in particular about how their hearts can be enlightened. He says this, uh, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See what he's saying there to Christians. He's saying, what I really want for you, what I'm praying for you, is that your hearts would be enlightened. Why? So that they would, they would know the hope that they've been given in Christ. So they would know the inheritance of what they've been given in Christ. What Paul is sort of saying is, look, even if you've come to faith, what you really need is for the power of God to open your hearts and your mind to see things as they truly are to see all the blessings that you've, you've been given in, in the gospel. This is what's needed. We need it to begin our faith because on our own, we're, we're blind in our sin, bound in our sin. We need the power of God to open our eyes, open our hearts to see our need for Jesus, but we still need that along the way so that we wouldn't be deceived. So first and foremost, we need to go to God in prayer and ask for help. Ask that our hearts would be enlightened, that we would see things clearly. That's the first thing. Secondly, Secondly, we need to spend time in self-examination and in the Word. Self-examination and the Word. And the reason I say this is because of verse uh, 35. Remember verse 35, Jesus said, Look, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. He's saying, you have to be careful. If if you're not careful, if you're not um, looking carefully at your life, there's going to be things that you think are good and they're not good for you. So how, how would you tell the difference? Well, you need to examine yourself, but not just examine yourself. Because here's the thing. There's a lot of philosophies. A lot of people out there would say you need to examine your life. You need to spend some time looking at your life, not just running the race, but stopping, examining. That, that's good. But if we're doing that in our own wisdom, we're going to miss things. What we really need is the Word of God. Because the Word of God illuminates our own character, illuminates the character of God. I mean, the discipline of just opening the Bible doesn't have to be chapters every day, just opening the Bible, reading it, praying about it. One of the best things to do is just say, Lord, uh, in light of these verses, would you help me to see myself more clearly? Would you help me to see you more clearly? Praying and thinking in that way each and every day, our eyes will be opened. We will see ourselves more clearly. We will draw near to the Lord. There'll be, a, there'll be less confusion in our understanding of who we are and who God is. We need the word and we need to spend time in it and thinking about our lives. That's the second thing. Self-examination and the word. Thirdly, which is a natural result of the first two. Uh, thirdly, we need to confess sin. We need to confess sin because as we're examining our, ourselves in light of the word, there's going to be things that we see that are dark. There's going to be areas of disobedience, areas of of idolatry, and we need to then confess those things. Because if we really want to see the light of Christ, we need to get rid of the darkness in our lives. The only way to do that is by confessing it at the cross of Jesus. By believing that, that it's been paid for, that it no longer has any power over us, that we've been redeemed, we've been made new, and then enjoying the forgiveness of God. When we confess our sin, We take the darkness and we actually bring it and expose it. 
A lot of the times we kind of conceal it, we nurse it, we, we, we don't want people to know about it, we feel ashamed, whatever that may, may be. But listen, if we're Christians, there is no shame, there's no condemnation. We can bring it to light and enjoy the forgiveness of God. Doing that, we see things so much clearer. Our conscience is clear, it, it, it just enables us to actually see what is true. So I, those three things, the goal of which is, is to, to see Jesus more clearly to receive from him, to be able to respond in faith. And it's all centered around, I hope you see the word of God. Because in the word, we have everything that we need, Jesus revealed, and, and everything to apply to our lives. So, so to end our time, I want to give you, just leave you with a picture that I came across in my study, a little story. Uh, it's told of the French Revolution when uh, a group of Christians was in jail. And by jail, I think back then it means kind of like a dungeon, right? Deep, dank, uh, under the ground. Uh, but one of them had, had a Bible, but it, it was so difficult to see there. And so uh, once a day, uh, if it was sunny, the sun would, would, would enter. There'd be a ray of sunlight that, if it was just at the right angle, would come into the top part of the cell. And so what they would do is they would take the person with the Bible, they would lift, lift him up, up high on their shoulders for as long as they could while the light was there. The person would, would read the Bible, and then as soon as the light was gone, they'd, they'd let him down, and they would turn to him and say, What did you read? What, did, what verse did you read? Tell us. Teach us. They were so hungry for the word. See, that's what's missing in, in the crowd around Jesus. They were there. They were in front of him. But they weren't hungry for the word of God. They, they, they didn't really want to respond to Jesus as they should. And, and we are no different. The best thing for us is to have hearts and minds that are hungry for the word of God. That we want to hear it. We want to respond to it. We want, to, we want to turn from every other thing and devote ourselves purely to the light of Christ. I want to pray for us as a church to that end. Because when we are in that mindset, in that, in that frame of mind and heart, man, we are going to know the Lord more and more. In fact, we are going to be more useful for the people in our lives, in our community. Because we are going to be seeing the light clearly and then able to shine it to others. So let me pray for us to that end. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you do not shy away from speaking hard words to us. Lord Jesus, I pray that this, this hard word would have been received well by, by everyone gathered here, everyone online. Lord, that, that we would actually take to heart these words and, and admit that there are different, we definitely are hard-hearted at times. We definitely don't see clearly at times. Jesus, we need you. I pray we would have the humility to, to appeal to you in prayer and a genuineness of conviction and say, help me to see the areas of darkness for what they are. Help me not to be confused or to deceive myself into thinking that there are certain things that are good for me when they are not good at all. Lord Jesus, I pray for a, a conviction in the spirit and in the word. And Lord, that through that, you would purify your church and Lord, that we would, we would be lights that shine brightly for those around us. That we would be filled with your spirit, ready to love and to speak the truth so that more and more people would have the same hope that we have. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.